there was a University of Pennsylvania study by the Positive Psychology Center that came out uh, a little bit ago analyzing the language used by people <clears throat> in social media. So 75,000 volunteers looked at over 700 million Facebook posts trying to analyze and determine what the most common words used by individuals in that setting social media were. And so they categorized it by gender, by age. And so you may be wondering, what word is most used on Facebook by adult women? And what word is most used by men? Well, women tend to be more emotive in their expressions on Facebook. And so the word that they used the most was excited. Other words flowed from that, but that was the primary. Guess what the man's word was? The mother of all swear words. How about that? And so you see a radical difference between uh, men and women. Again, the other terms typically used by women on Facebook were more of the emotional state of where they were. And the other words used by men typically are swear words. <laughs> so say high five guys, but I don't really think so. Uh, many of you have chosen not to be part of Facebook for that exact reason. Uh, to stay away from that. But just interesting. You may or may not be aware of a website called the Blue Letter Bible, blueletterbible.org, where this study of words found in the Bible can be uh, discovered. And uh, there are several uh, words that you could put in, actually any word found in the Bible, and it will pop up every reference for that specific word in about 15 different versions. So if you've not had that as part of your regimen of Bible study, I encourage you, uh, put that as an app on your phone, find that link, and keep that. It's really very helpful. In that, uh, typed in the word abide. Abide is used 44 times in the New Testament, 40 by John himself. And so only four other times do we see reference to this term abide, which is the key word and really what we're focusing on in our message today in 1 John chapter 2, verses 26 through 27, only focusing on two verses, but uh, this concept of abiding, which we've mentioned and talked around a bit before this morning, we're really going to dial in on and see the truths of what are expressed there with this relationship that we have with Christ in this area of abiding. But before we uh, read our verses today, let's pray together and then we'll begin. God, we say thank you this morning for your word and for us having the opportunity already to engage you, for you to engage us in worship. We're so grateful for those who lead us to your very throne every week and for their heart's desire to uh, lead us in praise and worship and to glorify your name. And now as we turn to your word, I pray that you would continue to challenge us as you have in this book uh, with so much that we've already learned. Uh, God, that you would today in our minds, our hearts, our souls, penetrate our very beings today, we pray, as we study this together and see aspects of this relationship that we have with you. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read uh, verses 26 through 27 of chapter 2, and then we'll, we'll get going and looking at different components of this passage. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. 
But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So John, making this reference multiple times, using the term abide, again, in this book of 1 John, even in these two verses, understood what abiding meant. If you know much about John's background, you know he is the one with whom Jesus referred to as the disciple I love. The special relationship, a brotherly relationship, really, that these two shared throughout the, inter- the, the time of the ministry, Jesus being on the planet. John 19, 26 through 27 actually shows us a different layer of relationship, even more than what we've already seen related to his family specifically. And again, this, this him being a brother, even though they weren't born of the same mother. <laughs> okay, that was not great. Um, uh, but these two who were in this close of a relationship, uh, let's, let's read these, these verses. Uh, when Jesus saw his mother, this being when Jesus was walking to the cross, saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. So he was referring to John, the disciple, this one he loved, and his mother is saying, Mother, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, John, here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. And so we see the nature of this relationship. Jesus entrusting his mom to his closest, most loved friend, really, of all the disciples because of the way he was categorized. This relationship, special one that he had, you take care of my mom. You are family from this point forward. And how John took that seriously, took care of her. Specifically today, as we consider that relationship, this abiding, we're going to look at our lives and what it means to abide and be safe, uh, what it means to be satisfied in our abiding, and what it means to be secure. So we really begin with this verse 26, and it's a stark warning that John gives. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. We know from previous passages in this book that John had addressed these false teachers who had come in and tried to disrupt the family of God, actually to the point of people leaving the church because of these false teachings, these uh, these areas that they were communicating with this group who were buying in hook, line, and sinker, and they, they followed him out, and, and uh, the, the church was, was disrupted. So John's concern for this body of believers was that they would continue in their trek with the Lord, that they wouldn't allow these false teachings to come and to be a part, uh, part of their lives, for them specifically to get swayed away. And so we think of the word safe, we think of the opposite of that, and the opposite of safety is danger. Francis Chan, in his book Crazy Love, many of you may have read that book, talks about this idea of safety and abiding in Christ. And really, uh, these sentences are challenging and encouraging both. See where you fall in this, one side or the other. I find myself, Chan says, acting differently with God. Often when I pray, I will phrase my sentences in a way that make me sound better. Have you ever done that? I have. I will try to soften my sins or touch up my true feelings before laying them before God. 
how foolish it is for me to be completely honest with my wife about my shortcomings, but try to fool God. God wants us to be open with him. He definitely doesn't want us to season our wretchedness as we would raw meat. He knows what we are, that we are disgusting, that all we are doing is trying to make ourselves feel better. God desires a true intimacy with each of us, and that comes only when we trust him enough to be truly transparent and vulnerable. People who are obsessed are raw with God. They do not attempt to mask the ugliness of their sins or their failures. Obsessed people don't put it on for God. He is their safe place where they can be at peace. So which one are you more like? Raw before the Lord? He knows every part of us anyway. Every hair on our head is numbered. Every part of our being, our creator knows us. And so why would we try to hide things from God? The same reason Adam and Eve did after their sin. Or are we that type of if we are a follower of Jesus, trying to hide aspects of our lives from the one who sees anyway. Challenging. Now, these things he mentions in the beginning of this verse in 26, it's a summary really of, of verses 18 through 25 with his people once again who were, were looking to be deceived. Now, the primary theme of what these false teachers at this point in this particular section were doing is they were saying that Jesus wasn't fully God that he was born normally. So the concept of the virgin birth, how Jesus literally was born from the virgin birth, uh, these teachers were saying that he wasn't, that he was born as any other. And so at some point when he was a kid, that God possessed Jesus. And that in that time period, he became God for this duration. And then just before the cross, God removed his possession from Jesus and he died as a normal man. We know that is absolute heresy. It destroys and corrupts the entirety of the gospel. For those who believe that Jesus was not fully God, not fully man, their, their lives are very unsettled. And so these false teachers were coming in trying to sway the people to this concept, to this new doctrine that they developed. In the process of that, individuals were, were leaving and buying in. We know Christian history is full of these examples, Joseph Smith being one a vision of modern churches turning away from the true gospel. And so he went away and, and read these golden plates and was able to translate those into what is known as the Book of Mormon. And as a result of his life, 14 years after he died, thousands at that time went away from Scripture, the Bible, the gospel, saying the Book of Mormon and, and the Bible are equal. Obviously, they are, are not. In our world, millions have drifted and walked away, holding to this concept of, of Mormonism and about this being the true uh, gospel, when in actuality is an absolute corruption of God's word. There is no book that is equal to Scripture, no additional revelation found outside of Scripture. And so we see this in comparison with Martin Luther, the Protestant Reformation, seeing the church was drifting away from Scripture, and so his whole desire was to bring the church back into a right relationship with God's Word. So he held to that. So we see the, the radical stark difference between one who's leading people astray and the one who's leading people back into a right relationship 
with God. As we hold to the truth and as we study the word ourselves and we spend time with him in Bible study and we engage in corporate worship, there's a safety within that. Parameters, boundaries, just as parents give their kids. There's an area within we live that produces in our hearts and our lives this safety as we abide in Christ. We transition, we see in verse 27 this concept of not only abiding in safety, but uh, abiding and being satisfied as a result as well. Verse 27, but the anointing you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. So this anointing that it talks about, what is that? What does that mean? Well, there are two anointings by the Holy Spirit. The first is the gospel, uh, obviously, of that we are sinners, that we are wretched, that we are separated, that we're in a need of a Savior, that Jesus came, lived, died, rose again, taking our sin upon himself, crying out to him, repenting of our sin, turning away from our old life, coming into a relationship with him, realizing that on our own we are nothing. But with the power of God, he can transform and change our lives if we surrender to him. And so this, this anointing of the Holy Spirit, when we do that, the Bible says when we surrender our lives, the Holy Spirit indwells us and remains with us. The promise of Scripture is that we do not lose that because that work is not based on us, it's based on Jesus. And the main priority of our lives is to hold to Scripture. Salvation cannot be added to. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The man, woman of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. So in that, we hold on to the words complete and every. Uh, this is a work, uh, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, in me, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, Philippians 1.6. So this anointing that takes place when we surrender our lives to him is that he, he dwells within us. And as a result, he leads us into truth. The Holy Spirit does. Uh, it's interesting when I served in Joplin, First Baptist 92 to 98, I had a friend that was a, served on staff at another church. <clears throat> and one morning gave an invitation at the end. A woman in her 30s came forward and said she surrendered her life right there at the front. Well, their custom was to immediately baptize following. And so the pastor and the woman went back to the back and their respective sides, met in the water, and their tradition and their theological holding was that once you were baptized, put under the water, that you would come up speaking in tongues, and that was an evidence that that person was saved. So here's the pastor standing next to the woman and Whatever his beginning words were, grabbed the nose, took her down, brought her back up. Nothing. 30 seconds to a minute passed. Dead silence. Says his gig again. Here we go. Kabadoosh. Took her up. Nothing. Repeated one more time. Nothing. Curtain closed. Woman never seen or heard of again by that staff member, actually had talked to him a year after that. See the distortion that false teachers can bring into even the church? That salvation is based on something other than grace through faith? The Bible does not say that every person who finds Jesus, who surrenders their lives, 
Regardless of your perspective on speaking in tongues, that's beside the point. We'll speak in a tongue other than what their tongue is. That it is a distortion of the truth. And to say that that woman never surrendered her life because she didn't speak that way, scripturally unfounded, not true. Even churches can get mixed up. That is why it is so important for us in the midst of our lives to not only be spending time in God's word with him, prioritizing time in prayer with him, celebrating with other believers and growing with him, but walking and being led by the Spirit. Are you truly, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, satisfied? You know, God intentionally placed each one of us in our neighborhoods, in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our community, in the grocery stores, intentionally for the purpose of sharing the gospel and the kingdom with the lost and to encourage followers of Jesus? Do those around you know you? Do they see in your life this idea of this concept and this lifestyle that you're so abiding in Christ that he is enough for you? That you're not running after everything else the world offers? Never fully satisfied? Or do they see this deep, intimate relationship with him that for some reason you're unusually satisfied because of your relationship with your creator? You're not constantly running after things. That's what John is talking about. 2 Corinthians 1.21 It is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us And who has also put his seal on us and given his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. He is our guarantee. Luther, who said, I can do no other than to live on this sound truth. The just will live by faith, challenges us to do the same. Another quote from Francis Chan in Crazy Love. There can never be intimacy if someone is always trying to pay God back or work hard enough to be worthy. We cannot work hard enough to attain or gain a pleasing from God in us enough to spend eternity with him or have a relationship with him. It is based on the work of Jesus and his blood on the cross. That's it. So Chan challenges us there. Finally, we're called to be abiding and in it to be secure. Second part of verse 27. But as his anointing teaches you all about everything, and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. We have absolutely everything our lives, our souls need in Christ. Intimacy is shared experience, said John Ortberg. With Jesus, we invite him to share the experiences of my life with me, to become more aware of Jesus' presence increasingly and invite him to communicate with me through my experiences. The more that happens, the more intimate the relationship, to learn to do all that all the time is significant in the life of a believer. The end of that, at this conference that he was speaking at, he shared this verse, Psalm 16, 9. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. When we are 
satisfied in him, secure in him, safe in him, abiding all along. There's this sense of stability that he brings to our lives through the leadership and power of the Holy Spirit that none other can do. So here's a challenge. We have a family member, um, <clears throat> really close family member, who uh, received a similar challenge at her church a while ago uh, about if you haven't uh, gotten into a regular routine recently, it's time in God's word. A challenge to do that. Uh, that pastor went to the extent of um, you spend a time in, in this way, in these sections of scripture for the next week, and if, um, if you don't see any kind of a difference, then come back and find me and I'll give you 20 bucks. I'm not promising that today, although I do believe, do believe in, the, in the promise, and, and my challenge is a little bit longer than that. Um, if you have yet to get into a regular routine of Scripture reading, begin in a great place to learn more and more about who Jesus is and about this life that he offers you, and start reading a chapter a day in Matthew for the next 28 days. Don't miss. Begin with prayer. God, show me something in your word in this moment. Now, I realize Matthew 1, it's genealogies. There are a lot of names. I uh, may not know how to pronounce those. Join the club. Um, but it's a great history of who Jesus was from birth until his crucifixion, his resurrection. God, show me something today. Read the chapter. Find a verse within the chapter. Write it on a card. Type it into your phone. Whatever you're going to see regularly. And then look to apply that verse for the course of the day. After you're done reading and you find that verse and you isolate it and you've got it, at the end of that time of reading and doing that, pray. God, help me to effectively apply this to my life. I guarantee if you do that and you are a follower of Jesus, your life will be different. There's something about abiding in Christ, connecting with him, spending time in his word and in prayer and solitude and fasting. Those are other pieces we can talk about a different day, but just the base relationship of spending time with him in his word and in prayer. If that is not a regular part of your life, I challenge you, start that today. And over the next 28 days, you see how God transforms your life. If you are lost, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, same challenge. God, show me something here. Find a verse. Closing prayer, God keeps showing me. At the end of 28 days, it would surprise me if not only your knowledge of who Jesus was hadn't grown, but that at the end of that period of time, if you don't really see the truth that if you were the only person on the earth, Christ would have died just for you, that's how much he loves you and how much in need you are of him. At the end of that period, you will see such a radical love of this Jesus who lived and died and rose again. Taking your sin upon himself when you cry out to him because of his intense and extreme love for you. No one can compete with the God of the universe, creator, sustainer of all things, Wanting a relationship with you. It's not Starbucks where maybe they know your name. Or Cheers, if you remember that show from the 80s. It is literally the one who knows you better than any other. 
loving you in spite of. Who else can offer that? Take the challenge. And at the end of the 28 days, if there has literally been zero difference, then not 20 bucks, but I'll buy you lunch. And I want to talk with you and engage with you about this God of the universe who is so passionately in love with you. That he wants that relationship. If you are walking with God and you are spending time in his word now, and he is real to you, and you know that you're abiding in him. Just like having a glass of water on the table and drinking it, the the reality of Christ being that close to you. Keep striving. Because I guarantee challenges are coming. And this is a settled time of peace, of preparation for what's coming next for you. This life is riddled with issues and problems and difficulties. You would be surprised, maybe not, if you know, if you knew just with this church family at Ridgeview what is happening in the lives of people. Deaths, catastrophes, relational breaks, the enemy winning in the lives of some within our church family, the destruction as a result. It's heartbreaking. Those individuals not remembering God's bigger. He's already won. And I have victory in him because I know him and because he knows me. Praying for one another is key. God hears our prayer. Interceding for one another in this stage of our lives and our church family is critical. If you are securely abiding and walking, it's a characteristic of your life. And that component is not a peace. Interceding for those within our church family. I encourage you and challenge you, begin by name, praying for those you know. He wants to do a work in all of us. Will you allow him to do that work in you? It starts now. Let's pray.